So then. If you awaken from this illusion, persistence of vision. Welcome to the Persistence of Vision podcast. Hello, folks. Howdy do. We are delighted to host you uh, for the next 45 minutes of delight and pleasure. POV podcast. Uh, it's uh, Lance Beaver Myers and LBDO hosting. We've got Joe Hoppy today. And a little bit about uh, POV. What does POV mean? POV. Other people think it stands for point of view. It could. Yes, it could, but it doesn't. <laughs> it stands for persistence of vision. Persistence of vision, which is a, a term taken from animation, actually. Yes, um, you are an animator. That is correct. I am an animator. Uh, yeah, so, but, but I think it also sort of has a double meaning uh, in that uh, we, uh, we have a vision, and our vision is to uh, uh, give people better conversation. Yes. Inspire better conversation, right? Inspire more communication. Inspire more uh, uh, searching for truth between people. Is that what this is about? Yes. It's a very <laughs> pretentious way to put it. <laughs> but it's true. No, it's, it's true. true. It is true. It's, it's right? hard to say it without being pretentious because yeah. it is pretentious. And we're pretentious. But POV, that's what it's supposed to be all about, right? It's, uh, it's, it's putting out books. It's putting out... Um, it's championing works of art that we think will help uh, the world find yes. truth, yeah. communicate with one another. We, um, don't, we don't like the conversations we're hearing out there. They're, uh, <laughs> they're a little, little flat. A little flat. And we're, 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 what we'd like to do is, is put out things that, you know, whether books or something else, that uh, raise the level of the conversation to a more abstract and interesting level. And speaking of which, we already have a few things that are doing that. Go to the POV website, which is pov-publishing.com. There you can see comics. You can see uh, we have a, a, a page called the POV Reader, which is updated monthly. This month happened to, happens to be March of 2019. Uh, this month we feature a, a poet by the name of Juanice Myers. A couple of poems up there by her. She is a published playwright and a fantastic poet. So go check that out. Maybe that'll start some conversations. Um, what else? We've got a book coming out by Lance Fever Myers. That's me. Yeah. Uh, yay! Yay! In, in yay. Uh, May. Check back in May. That's when we're going to launch our first uh, novel. Uh, it's called Why So Much? Why So Much? And um, point of uh, point of view, point, <laughs> uh, point of interest. Uh, the music that you heard as as this podcast began is by a band called A Monster's Guts. So check out A Monster's Guts on Bandcamp, and that should start other conversations. Yes. What else? Well, speaking of conversations, I think we should start our conversation. With W. Joe Hoppy. Joe is a play, uh, poet rather, and a uh, instructor at a Austin Community College. She teaches, among other things, the Iliad and the Odyssey. We're going to mm -hmm. talk today about the Iliad. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Iliad, I'll just quickly say that everyone knows the story of the Trojan War. A Trojan prince, Paris, runs off with Helen, the wife of King Menelaus, and takes her to Troy with him. Menelaus and his brother Agamemnon organize a huge Greek army to retrieve her. 
They fight for ten years outside the high walls of Troy before, at last, Odysseus, the cleverest of the Greeks, conceives a trick known ever since as the Trojan horse. The Greeks use the horse to gain access to the city and they raise it to the ground. The Iliad is an epic poem that tells the story of a short period of time during the tenth year of the Trojan War. It's the story of Achilles, the greatest of the Greek warriors. So let's say hello to Joe Hoppy. Howdy, folks. What's it's up, Joe? Great to be here. Beautiful sunny afternoon in Austin, Texas. Yes, we're, we're recording here in Austin, Texas. Uh, it's our hip-hop spot. <laughs> All right. Where are you from, Joe? Me? Yeah. Um, I'm from Jackson, Michigan, originally. It's about 80 miles west of Detroit on I-94. All right. And uh, it's a Rust Belt town. But I've been here in uh, Austin since 1989. Oh, okay. And I was in that Minneapolis. qualifies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I was in Minneapolis for about four years. Would you describe before. yourself as a Rust Belt man? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm a Rust Belt man from the tip of my head. If you if rusty. you were here in the studio on with steel us, toe boots, yeah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. You would take one look at Joe and you would say, that is a Rust Belt man. <laughs> and certainly I think that you can hear the rust in his voice. Mm, yeah. So what made you uh, gravitate towards um, the Greek classics? Um, well, I got the opportunity to teach World Lit. And um, now let's go back. I grew up with the Greeks, um, the Greek myths. And my, my mom, you know, got the books out of the library and... It was a lot of fun. It was interesting. Um, and I, I've always been interested because the stories are absolutely great. And then you see mention of them all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you kind of feel like you're in the know when you hear those illusions. Um, but as a teacher, digging into these things, you truly appreciate the depth and what an amazing writer Homer, whoever Homer was, um, was. So Homer's maybe a myth. Um, he's thought to be blind. He's uh, a poet. And he's also thought to amalgamate all these stories, put them all together for them to be written down. So it's interesting. He's blind and he's a poet, but he's also credited with getting things together so they could be written down in about 800 uh, before Common Era. As soon as the Greeks had a an alphabet to write in they wrote down the iliad and the odyssey so this so the 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 trojan war is an actual event right and it happened when about 1200 bce and the uh, way we can say this is there are a lot of mentions of it now again this is pre-alphabet pre-written down but there's pottery with ships and there's other mentions. There's um, a guy named Heinrich Schliemann at the last part of the 19th century. Just using literary hints, found what looks to be a city uh, that would have been Troy. It's a little bit south of Istanbul um, in Turkey. And uh, you can dig it up. One of the interesting things was that that city would have been a kind of a colony of the Greeks around that time. And we're talking about Mycenaean Greeks, not classical Greeks. 
a very, very materialistic culture and also pre-literate. So before this guy showed up and started looking around, was it, I mean, was it kind of doubtful that people didn't really yeah. believe that there was a Yeah, Trojan people war? figured it was a myth. Okay. But then the more we know, and, and we're getting more information all the time. Hmm. You know, one of the big ones to sidetrack just a little. But when I was a kid, you know, everybody knew slaves built the pyramids, right? Right. But um, like within the last 10 years, they've found graves and farmers, Egyptian farmers, when they weren't being farmers, uh, got paid to build the pyramids. And if you died uh, in the building of the pyramids, you got your own grave with a gravestone. Edgar G. Robinson didn't just kick you off to the side. <laughs> You know, wow. greatest okay. stories ever told. So um, we're, we're learning new things all the time. Gotcha. And constantly. And one of the things we learned semi-recently was, yeah, it seems look like Troy was a real place. And there are m multiple mentions of all of Greece, as LB said in the intro, going together to fight this, uh, I guess you could call it a rogue colony, because they had a lot of the same gods and common and that kind of thing and I assume a language and at the same time as we know that there was a Troy and we think there may well have been a Trojan War mm -hmm. we also very much doubt the historical accuracy of the story itself in terms <laughs> of the characters the heroes oh, right and so forth if I'm not mistaken uh, you certainly when you read the Iliad for example mm -hmm. a lot of the characters are gods and goddesses right and who knows what the gods and goddesses really think and feel. And it's hard to get them to sit still and write down <laughs> what their, their thoughts are. Um, but that, and that, again, is the genius of the book, the genius of Homer, because you've got this war, as you said, going on for 10 years. How do you tell about that? Well, you have to figure out a person to focus on. So we do get the story of Achilles. And um, let's start out. So my favorite version is the translation by Fagels. Um, my old buddy, Robert Fagels, he died a while back. But prior to that, there is a translation by Lattimore in 51 and a translation by Fitzgerald in 74. And I'd looked at them, but uh, the, the, the energy of... Fagels is amazing. So the first chapter in the Fagels translation is called The Rage of Achilles. You kind of got to say it like a wrestler. So let's look at the first stanza. Rage, goddess, sing the rage of Peleus' son Achilles, murderous, doomed, that cost the Achaeans countless losses, hurling down to the house of death so many sturdy souls, great fighters' souls, but made their bodies carrion, feast for the dogs and birds, and the will of Zeus was moving towards its end. Begin, muse, when the two first broken clashed, Agamemnon, lord of men, and brilliant Achilles. So there's a lot of energy there. It sets you up. It sets yes. you up. And um, the deal is, Achilles feels slighted. They take away his prize, who's a woman named Briseis, and uh, Agamemnon takes her. And so uh, Achilles is upset. Um, th there's 
let's go off and do another slight tangent, the Homeric Code. So there's four points to the Homeric Code. And Homer wasn't explicit about this. This is something that academics came up with, but it works. So point number one, be first and foremost. Point number two, be a doer of deeds and a speaker of words. So you, like Odysseus in the Odyssey, you can't just do it as heroes do here in Texas. You have to talk about it. Uh, step number three is stand fast firmly. Step number four is help your friends hurt your enemies. And that's where Achilles is a little shaky. So, I'm sorry to interrupt it. Yeah, yeah. This Homeric code, uh, it mm -hmm. sounds like you're saying it's the code of a hero or the requirements to be a hero? It works as the requirements to be a hero, but also as an external thing, because when we slip up or when you slip up as a hero, then the gods step in, whether it's to make things right or whether it gives them an excuse that's still under debate. So for instance, when um, Hector, before the gates of Troy in one of the most heartbreaking chapters um, when Achilles is coming on towards him and Hector is going to go one-on-one -on -one with Achilles, the greatest warrior ever, but he cuts and runs, he breaks. And that allows Athena, who loves the Greeks, Athena, goddess of wisdom, right? Who loves the Greeks to step in and um, kind of fool Hector into facing Achilles. But the, because, all, because Hector violated the Because, rules. right, he cut code. and ran. He did not stand fast firmly. Um, and then it begins with Achilles being upset because he's not first and foremost among the Greeks. Although everyone knows he's the best warrior, Agamemnon still claims leadership. And so for the biggest chunk of the Iliad, Achilles is as they say, sulking in his tent. He's not a part of things, and they have to coax him out uh, with the terrible death of Patroclus. Um, and then once he comes out fighting, he kills so many Trojans that it clogs the river Scamander. And the river itself, because uh, natural things are often personified. The river itself has to fight Achilles because it's angry at being clogged up <laughs> with dead Trojans. And he fights the river with a shield and sword. Jeez. And that's how it was. What a badass Achilles is. And the river is a god. The river is a, yeah, a demigod. He's mm -hmm. not an Olympian He's god. He's not an Olympian. He's not one of the big 12, but... Uh, He's, He's certainly, one of the deathless gods. Yes, one of the deathless gods. We say, you know, Achilles was a badass, but how how does how does the Achilles of the Iliad relate to the Achilles that we all know about? You know, the um, being dipped into the river with the by, by his heels. So yeah. His heels that, oh yeah. Yeah, so um, can you hear me? I was I was leaning back away from the he mic. Was relaxing. I was relaxing. Yes. Um, Okay, so, yeah, tell us okay, about how so that relates. The, the Achilles with his heel dipped and blah, blah, blah isn't really the Achilles of the Iliad. The Achilles of the Iliad, there's a couple good things about him. One is his daddy's Peleus, who, uh, now all these guys have background and background and background. So I'm going to try to do the short version. 
But when Peleus washed up on an island, and I forget why he washed up on an island, but he was obviously a kingly guy, but he didn't have anybody to rule over. So Zeus, who liked Peleus, made the ants into soldiers and people for him to rule. And they're called Myrmidons, which uh, the, the Greek root for ant is close to Myrmidon. And so the uh, Myrmidons wear all black and like ants, they're persistent in their vision. And uh, <laughs> I had to do that. But uh, they're also, they work together really, really well. And um, so there's that, the, the human side of Achilles is Peleus and he's inherited an island ruled over and rules over Myrmidons. His mother is Thetis, a sea nymph and related therefore to the god Poseidon. And in the Iliad, he complains to his mother, but um, she, uh, there's nothing about heels or all that. Right. That comes so it in is, it much is the later. Same guy. It's just oh, it's a, absolutely it's the a same myth guy. It doesn't overlap. Right. It isn't, it isn't true of Achilles in the Iliad that he's invulnerable except for his heel. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, he's wounded multiple times. One more fun thing about Achilles is um, he's raised. Not by his dad, not by his mom, but by Chiron, the friendly centaur, who was also a teacher to uh, Heracles, Hercules in Rome. Um, but uh, a point that is in the Iliad is he never knew a woman's breast, you know, as a child. And so this makes him a pretty... Um, Achilles. Never knew a woman. Yeah, I'm sorry, Achilles. And uh, so it makes him a pretty terrifying warrior. There's no kind of kindness. The, the milk of human kindness <laughs> has, uh, has, has escaped his lips. Interesting. Yeah. And th so there's layers and layers and layers and layers about with all this stuff. It's so hard to imagine what the the Greeks at the time, how they took this. Because, I mean, when we hear of centaurs and, and fighting a river and things like that, it all seems like, you know, we're going to see an Avengers movie or something, right, right. which is all in good fun. <laughs> but, you know, here we are living in the modern age, you know, after the, you know, enlightenment and the age of reason, and, and, and we understand uh, things in a different way than what they did. Uh, I mean, theirs was a way, a life of mysticism and mm -hmm. not understanding the real nature of, of of the world, right? I mean, so how yeah. are they taking this? Was this pure entertainment to them, or was this... Well, um, remember Time Bandits <laughs> and the Age of Heroes? Yeah. It's a little like that. So what we know is from one, the Greeks got literature. And at the very earliest, there's 400 years between when the Trojan War happened, and when they're writing about it. Mm -hmm. So we don't know about the in-between time. But we do know that it was commonly regarded as the age of heroes. They weren't like you and me. Things were different. Here's a fun fact about the age of heroes. Um, they would dig up dinosaur bones. You know, somebody finds a dinosaur bone, right? And it was huge. And so it obviously belonged to one of the heroes of ancient times. Oh, wow. And they would give these things burials. There's all these great huh. stories. Um, so the easy answer would be that 
mankind was different. There was a golden <laughs> age. Yeah. And, and like Time Bandits, you know, there's that age of heroes mm-hmm. that isn't. And if you haven't seen Time Bandits, folks, see it. It's a great movie directed by Terry Gilliam, one of the original Monty Pythons. I heard that they're put, making a TV show, and the first episode is, is written by, maybe even directed by, uh, the I, I can never say his name, the, the New Zealand uh, director who did uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, wow. What's his name? I can never say it right. Anyhow, so that should be fantastic. But, okay, so you you mentioned, okay, so there's the the war, and then 400 years pass. Right. So uh, during that time, they're passing this down as an oral tradition. Yes. And so it's a song, right? I mean, that's how they can remember it. That's how they can pass it down. So tell us about that meter and how that works. So when we say something's an epic, it refers to a Greek term about big feet. And as we all know, big heroes, big feet. And big feet, big boots (laughs) here in Texas. So um, the epic has six stressed lines which makes it a hexameter. Um, we all know Shakespeare and his iambic pentameter with five stressed lines, but you, a hero needs a long line for his stories to be told. So it's an hexameter, and it, it was sung. Um, and in the, the singing, you have a couple important things. One is you have um, Homeric epithets. So these work both for singing and mnemonic devices so epithet e-p-e-t-h-e-t mnemonic m-e-n-o-m-o-n-i-c um comes from mnemosyne one of the uh titans and anyways um so we always have rosy fingered dawn and the wine dark sea and depends on who we what we need we have horse tamer hector or man killer hector or Achilles, the most angry man alive, as our friend Fitzgerald <laughs> says. Or Agamemnon, the most grasping man alive. And these uh, epithets are there to fill out the line. Now, we also have um, like six different phrases for Greek and different fa- phrases for Trojans. So the Trojans are, help me out, LB, they're Dardanians, Dardanians, yeah, uh, sons of Priam. Um, there's surely there's some other Trojans, and then the, the Greeks are Achaeans, Argives, Argives, Ionians. Well, there's Ionians. individual yeah, countries in Greece. Yeah, and then there's Ithacans. I mean, this isn't a united country at this time, of course. This is a a, a vast archipelago of uh, tiny nations with each mm-hmm. with its own king. And so, that's one of the, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, most, yeah. many of the heroes of the book are kings. Yeah, almost all, to a man. You have to be a king, right? The sceptered kings. And uh, if you read book two, it's this huge list of all the different peoples and all the different tribes and all the different kingdoms that came together in Greece to go to Troy. So it also has that kind of great mythic air we were talking about a minute ago, Lance, with the time of heroes, because in the time when this would have been written down and pretty much within the time of anyone's memory, Greek Greece, as um, LB is saying, is broken up. But there was a time 
way in the past where all of Greece united under one mighty cause, you know. Mm. And so there's this idea that at one point we were a singular people with focus, mm-hmm. and um, which, you know, uh, works for the idea of heroism. and Sure. The, okay, so you said stage. that... Uh, Agamemnon stole or or by fiat took yes. away Achilles' slave Briseis and Achilles reacted you said by refusing to fight. Right. And he not only refuses to fight but he asks his mother Thetis to go to Zeus and ask Zeus to make it bad for the Greeks. So he uh, breaks that force rule completely about helping your friends, hurting your enemies. He says, make it so bad for the Greeks that they beg me to come back. And then Apollo begins to shoot his arrows. Well, it begins, well, he does that a couple times. Which time? Then when he creates the plague. Right, that's why, okay. um, Oh, no, no, you're right, that's before. Yeah, Briseis is the daughter of a, no. The other woman, there's a woman who, Chryseis, who they take from her father, who's a priest of Apollo. Chryseis. Apollo shoots him full of arrows of plague. The Greeks are all sick. They figure out, oh, we've angered Apollo. How do we unanger Apollo? We give the priest of Apollo back his daughter, which leaves Agamemnon without a prize. And he gets Briseis or Briseis back from Achilles, which leaves Achilles without a prize, and that angers, you know, that causes his rage. <laughs> and who is Patroclus? Patroclus is Achilles' great and good friend. And do we want to get into the interpretations on that? Sure. Okay, so, Fagels. Um, is very, very explicit that he doesn't think that they had a gay relationship. But in um, classical Greece, relationships between men were often thought to be of of a higher level because it wasn't just about reproduction. So in classical Greece, they promoted the idea that Patroclus and Achilles were lovers. But under Mycenaean terms, according to our buddy Fagels, it's probably unlikely. But anyways, um, Patroclus comes into the picture as the Greeks have been driven almost back into the sea. They've been camping um, near the shore outside Troy, and the Trojans are winning, and they drive the Greeks back to the sea, and Patroclus begs Achilles, can I go fight in your armor? Can I rally the troops? Can I take the Myrmidons? Pretend to be you. And Exactly. Pretend to be Achilles, and which will also scare the heck out of the uh, Trojans. And Achilles says, yeah, just don't go beyond this point. Don't go all the way to the walls of Troy. But Patroclus, on his own, is a mighty, mighty warrior, especially back with the Myrmidons. And he goes to the walls of Troy because he's doing great. I mean, he's pushing those Trojans back. But again, it opens up a window for the gods because Patroclus has broken his oath. And so Patroclus is fighting, and he's mighty. And 
Apollo comes up and he slaps Patroclus on the back and causes him to fall down and it loosens his armor. And here's a sad little detail. A young Trojan, when Patroclus is down on the ground, is the first to spear an armorless Patroclus. But then Hector steps in and claims that he and kills Patroclus and, and claims credit for it. And um, it upsets Achilles. There's a whole chapter about uh, Patroclus's funeral in the games. And um, when Hector kills Patroclus, he takes Achilles' armor because Achilles is the baddest ass warrior and he had some really badass armor, except it'll turn around to bite him because he faces Achilles at the end of the book wearing Achilles' own armor. And Achilles knows where there's jinx in his armor. He knows where to, to send the spear. So it, you know, it all who comes is, back. Who is Hector? Hector is the king of Tro or the son of the king of Troy. He's the great hero, and he's if you read the book, he's by far the most sympathetic character. One reason he's sympathetic is because he's shown on different levels. There's a scene where he goes back to Troy and Hector is a son and he's nice to his father, talks to his mother, he's a husband and he's also a father. And there's a famous scene where he approaches his son with his big helmet that has the horsehair bristles and it scares the kid but, uh, but then they take off he takes off the helmet and they laugh and there's also this heartbreaking scene um i'm not going to spoil anything hector gets killed and the, <laughs> yeah. the story ends is called the last chapter is the death of hector the last words are, and so we buried hector um there's no Trojan war, or there's no Trojan horse, but we mentioned that. So, anyways, um, but Hector's a well-rounded character, and Hector's fighting for his home. He's it's not a thing of an invasion. He's fighting for the lives uh, lives of his child and his mom and his dad and his wife, and uh, there's this really heartbreaking thing uh, scene getting back around where his um, wife, Andromache, is telling him, you know, if you get killed, this is the future for our son, Scamander, or Scamander. And, um, the son? Yeah. The Scamander is the river. Yeah, they name, Scamandrius is his name. Oh, is it? They name him after the river. There's also another name for him, which I forget. Okay. But anyways... Um, but they say without a father, this is what he can look forward to. And he'll be on like the edges of the banquet and nobody will, you know, maybe they'll give him scraps. But uh, it won't matter that he was Hector's son because Hector will be dead. And it's and so that's another one of those moments in the Iliad, this great book of war that becomes, uh, you know, heartbreakingly human as well as all the horrific violence. There's a scene where I think Ajax uh, cuts off the guy's arms and legs. Mm. Or he cuts off his arms. Mm -hmm. so, he, so there's a dead guy who's in the way, and Ajax uh, cuts off the guy's arms and then just rolls him out of the way. Uh, yeah, hilarious stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, um, 
you know, so there, there's this stuff about home and Hector uh, defending his homeland. And then there's just the most gory of stuff you really want to encounter. So you mentioned the humanity of it. Yes. And that's, you know, another thing I was going to ask you about is, is you know, like, so what if, if you were to, you know, talking to somebody who hadn't ever read mm-hmm. this, what is it that would, you know, what can you tell them that would inspire them to read it? Is this going to be just some sort of, a, um, you know, uh, just an account of a battle that's, that's you know, a, like I said, like a blockbuster, um, you know, movie, like you want to see the Avengers or something? Or how much of it is about human relationship? How much of it is... Well, the other question I think someone might ask if you said, oh, you should read the Iliad, is like, well, that sounds kind of... Old. Hard, old. <laughs> right, dense. Yeah, it dense. sounds like it's... it's uh, like a homework assignment. It's homework. Okay. Well, um, no. It's great stuff. And the biggest, the first thing I'd say is it isn't daunting. It's very, very accessible. And um, you'd, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at how human these people are. And then the second thing would be you think you know, you know, everybody talks, oh, yeah, Trojan War, blah, blah, blah. But you don't know unless you've read the Iliad. And um, I, with any luck at all, Homer will be kind of a gateway drug to <laughs> uh, ancient literature, which really the biggest thing you'll find out is those folks aren't that different from you and me. Do we have time for me to read a little bit of Hector before the gates of Troy? Dive in. Okay. Um now, okay, I'll just jump in. So Hector is going to go one-on-one with Achilles. And Achilles, again, the baddest guy imaginable. And I, I think maybe the stature of Dwayne Johnson, but mean Dwayne Johnson. And all the in the background, book 22, there's 24 uh, books. And this one's called The Death of Hector. So you kind of know what's going to happen. But in the background, there's this pounding of Achilles, the runner, coming towards him with his bronze armor glinting in the sun, and it's just boom, boom. And you imagine his thighs like pistons in a mighty truck, and it's just boom, boom, boom. And fate is on its way to take over Hector, and his parents are watching him. So I got, I got to give you this, this human, human, human scene, which is going to be compared with this horrific bloodbath in a, in a little bit. But so his, his dad is begging him, Priam. So the old man groaned and seizing his gray hair, tore it out by the roots, but he could not shake the fixed resolve of Hector. And his mother wailed now, standing beside Priam, weeping freely, loosing her robes with one hand and holding out her bare breast with the other, her words pouring forth in a flight of grief and tears. Hector, my child, look, have some respect for this. Pity your mother, too, if I ever gave you the breast to soothe your troubles. Remember it now, dear boy. Beat back that savage man from safe inside the walls. Don't go forth, a champion pitted against him, merciless, brutal man. If he kills you now, how can I ever mourn you on your deathbed? Dear branch in bloom, dear child I brought to birth, neither I nor your wife, that warm, generous woman, 
now far beyond our reach. Now by the Argive ships, the rushing dogs will tear you, bolt your flesh. So for, first off, <laughs> wow. you'd be on the wall and have your mother, you know, if I never have some respect for this. Um, and it also takes goes back to the contrast with Achilles, who never knew, because his mama abandoned him because she's a sea nymph and she's got better things to do. And Achilles can't live underwater. Um, so let, let me just set up then. Well, it's hard to find out what Fitch to skip, so I'm just going to jump in and you guys stop me if when we need to. Uh, so they wept the two of them crying out to their dear son, both pleading time and again, but they could not shake the fixed resolve of Hector. No, he awaited Achilles coming on, gigantic in power as a snake in the hills, guarding his hole, awaits a man bloated with poison, Deadly hatred seething inside him, glances flashing fire as he coils round his lair. So Hector, nursing his quenchless fury, gave no ground, leaning his burnished shield against a jutting wall. But harried still, he probed his own brave heart. And here's where, again, uh, in the middle of the scene, he probes his own brave heart. We're going to get an interior monologue. Also a very, very sophisticated uh, storytelling technique from our buddy Homer. So here's what Hector says to himself. No way out. If I slip inside the gates and walls, Polydamus will be first to heap disgrace on me. He was the one who urged me to lead our Trojans back to Ilium just last night, the disastrous night. Achilles rose in arms like a god, but did I give way? Not at all. And how much better it would have been. Now my army's ruined, thanks to my own reckless pride. I would die of shame to face the men of Troy and the Trojan women trailing their long robes. Someone less of a man than I will say, our Hector staking all his own strength. He destroyed his army, all on his own strength, destroyed his army, so they will mutter. So now, better by far for me to stand up to Achilles, kill him, come home alive, or die at his hands in glory out before the walls. But wait, what if I put down my studded shield and heavy helmet, prop my spear on the rampart, rampart and go forth just as I am to meet Achilles? Noble! Prince Achilles. Why, I could promise to give back Helen, yes, and all her treasures with her, all those riches Paris once hauled home to Troy in the hollow ships, and they were the cause of all of our endless fighting. Yes, yes, return it all to the sons of Atreus now, to haul away and then at the same time divide the rest with all the Argives, all the city holds, and then I'd take an oath for the Trojan royal council that we will hide nothing, share and share alike the hordes, our handsome citadel stores within its depths. And why debate, my friend? Why thrash, thing, thrash things out? I must not go and implore him. He'll show no mercy, no respect for me, my rights. He'll cut me down straight off, stripped of defenses like a woman once I have loosed the armor off my body. No way 
to parley with that man. Not now. Not from behind some oak or rock to whisper like a boy and a young girl lover's secrets. A boy and a girl might whisper to each other. Better to clash in battle now at once. See which fighter Zeus awards the glory. Beautiful. Yeah, so right, you know, all inside Hector's brain and head, or brain and heart. We see this contrast between Hector that you're describing and Achilles. Yes. And when Hector does attempt to talk to Achilles (laughs) during their fight, and he says, uh, says, let's make a pact, Mm -hmm. right, That, uh, that the winner of the fight will give the body of the loser back to his family for proper burial, as is considered absolutely essential yes. in the Greek culture. And Achilles says there are no pacts between a man and a lion. Yeah, yeah. And Achilles, obviously, the lion, he'd say, I'd eat you raw if I could. Um, another great thing, side thing, we're going off on another tangent. Um, arguably, you know where your Achilles tendons are. So arguably... On one hand, your Achilles tendon does go all the way to your heel. But on the other hand, Achilles slits Hector right between those tendons and his uh, leg bones. And he passes a leather strap through and drags Hector's body around. So you could argue that those are Achilles tendons, the the tendons that he cuts. And the other huge... um, point I want to make is this is one of those things that gives us a, a gut reaction as it did to you, Mr. Myers. Um, if you remember back uh, when the U.S. was in Somalia, one of the horrific things that the Somalis did was they took a United States Army guy, uh, GI, and they drug his body behind a jeep and it freaked everybody out and we got out of Somalia pretty quickly. But it's the same thing that happens in the Iliad, where Achilles drags Hector's body around, and, and his mother and his father and his wife and all his countrymen watch. And um, it's pretty horrific. And even in the chapter about, no, no, it's the second to last chapter, um, Achilles is so upset about the loss of Patroclus. They have these great games and they have a funeral, but he's so upset and he tosses and turns and it describes him tossing and turning at night. And then he'll get up and hitch up his horses. And the only thing that makes him feel a little bit better is he'll drag Hector's body around. (laughs) (laughs) But luckily, the um, gods have made him uh, Hector's body incorruptible. So we don't have Hector falling apart after being drug around he's still kind of in decent shape wow but it's it's his only solace solace to to drag hector around um so yeah there's a lot going on here that you're uh oh yeah i know about the trojan war wonderful amazing details that make us gasp and laugh and you know do all kinds of interesting things that you're not going to get unless you read homer well, if the, if the Trojan horse is not in this account, where do we get the Trojan horse? Okay, idea? so it's mentioned briefly in the Odyssey. 
So the Iliad's called the Great Book of War. The Odyssey's called the Great Book of Peace. Uh, it's about Odysseus's big journey trying to get home. It takes him another 10 years to get home. But um, it's also got this huge theme about being a guest and being a host, which is right. one of the most yeah. important things you could do back during the Greek Mycenaean civilization. Um, and then you get it in Aeneid, the Aeneid by Virgil, who writes it all down. And he takes a lot of different stories. But if you read the first chapter, it will break your heart. Um, reading about the fall of Troy. It's just terrible. And, and Hector's son gets thrown off the parapet and his brain splatter. And oh, it, it's really, really sad. Well, we'll have to talk about the, uh, the Odyssey. We can talk, we have another, uh, yeah, another we'll, podcast. We'll, okay, yeah, we have that. So I'll, I'll stop there. Um, but, anyways, read, read the Iliad, guys. Read the Iliad. Read the poetry version. Don't read the. Uh, expurgated um, prose version. You just won't get the, the life. So you're a poet yourself. Yes. Where can we read some of your poetry? Ah, um, in April, you can read it on the point of view. Hell yeah. Uh, no point. No. Uh, Persistence, Persistence of, of vision. vision. Right. Yeah. It can be a point of view. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I've got a book called Diamond Plate, which you can get at Malvern Books or I don't know if it's on Amazon, but it's all over like eBay or Things. Diamond of... Plate is the title. Joe Hoppy is the author. Joe's uh, poetry, like he said, will be featured on the POV website as the uh, he'll be the featured uh, POV reader author of uh, April. Poetry yes. month. And uh, speaking of authors, it's been fascinating to hear about this most brutal of wars, and particularly the fall of Troy and all the savagery that took place, because it gives us a good segue into our next. Uh, guest for the next podcast, Atia Abawi, who is the author of a book about ISIS-controlled Syria called The Land of Permanent Goodbyes. So we'll be talking about that on our next episode of Persistence of Vision. Fantastic. Sounds good. Thanks, Joe. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. You man of the rust belt. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you guys for listening. Yes. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Peace and love. Wear it out. (laughs) That was all right.